0: Morning. Um, I'm John, if you don't know me. Um, I'm on the staff team here. Uh, My wife and I um, moved to Yeovil um, almost a year ago. Um, So we're still really enjoying getting to know you guys. Um, Still really enjoying getting stuck into what's going on here at YCC. Um, This week I'm doing the second uh, talk that's looking at our vision statement that by God's spirit and in partnership we are committed to seeing the tide of relational breakdown turned wherever we serve. Now, if you were um, listening last week, you'd have heard Rachel explore in the first talk how we're called to be part of God's overall plan of reconciliation and how at the centre of that, that's about um, the art of rehumanization, seeing the individual, empowering people, um, helping carry hope for those people. And if you're watching this back um, online and you didn't see last week's talk, I suggest you stop now, pause and go and listen to Rachel's talk Uh, for two reasons. One, I'm I'm building on what she's talking about. And secondly, it's brilliant. And if you've only got half an hour to spare, that's the talk you need to listen to, not me. All right. (laughs) However, if you're in the room, you've got to listen to me. So um, let's get stuck in. One of the great joys of, of joining this church, being part of it, has been the chance to get involved in um, programs, a specific program like Y for F, um, that's actually designed to address relational breakdown. But not everyone has the opportunity. We're all busy. We do different things. Um, but as Rachel reminded us, the act and the act of reconciliation actually takes place one person at a time. So what I want to do this morning is just explore how each one of us might work that out in practice, how we actually seek to be Jesus, and when we seek to be Jesus to other people, how we actually encounter Jesus for ourselves. This all starts with Jesus' simple call to follow him. That's what he said. He said, Follow me. There's no recorded process for how to become a Christian. There's no nicely laid out list of doctrinal beliefs. That all came later, it's built upon the whole of the New Testament. Jesus' primary call to people was to follow him. Even his challenge to be born again only occurs once in John 3. Jesus is recorded as saying, follow me, 13 times in the Gospels. So we're primarily called to apprentice to Jesus, to be his disciples, to be followers. The early believers even called it the way. So if we're called to follow, that effectively means we're going on a journey. We're choosing to go where Jesus goes and to do what Jesus does. And as we heard last week, Jesus' primary mission is actually one of reconciliation. Colossians 1.20. Through Jesus, through him, God reconciled everybody and everything to himself. So there are, there are three things that immediately spring to mind for me. First of all, the journey itself is important. Being a disciple is a process; it's not just a destination. Dallas Willard famously said, "Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you." Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. That's effectively the process of the theological word is sanctification. Being shaped and moulded and discipled into the person that God wants you to be. The journey is important. Secondly, the journey is with other people. Jesus called a range of people, a whole ragtag of people, uh, to follow him. He formed a community around him. Apprenticing to Jesus means working it out with other people. Doing it together. Our journeys with other people. And thirdly, our journey is going to involve encounter with people. If we're journeying with Jesus, then we're going to be going to the places that he wants to go to. And we're going to be doing the things that he wants to do. And we should trust that the people that we encounter are the people he wants us to be Jesus to. And... ...and um, experience Jesus through. He's going to lead us to the people. He's going to lead us to people to be involved in reconciliation. And that reconciliation might be just as much for us... ...as it is for that other person. So I'm going to look at three situations... ...where I think we will encounter Jesus. First of all, we encounter Jesus in other followers of Jesus... Because each one of us carries the Holy Spirit with inside us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So wherever we go, we take a bit of God's kingdom with us. Sometimes that's really, really inspiring. I, I love it when I come across people who are living out their their faith. They're living out hope. They're living out love. I love being around those sorts of people. when uh, People who are clearly walking closer to Jesus. They have a kind of... A presence about them, don't they? I love people who are able to explain theology clearly, um, help me understand what God's saying and doing. I love encountering those sorts of people who are living out quite radical ways of discipleship, who seem free and unencumbered by um, the world. I love being with people who have Jesus shining out of them. They inspire me. They help me. They encourage me. I've also found that Christians can quite often be hard to be with. Sometimes being with other Christians is challenging. God reveals aspects of himself through them that I find disturbing. People think or act differently Sometimes people even seem to resist doing the things that I think I'm called to do. They kind of get in the way. It's very easy um, for us to immediately reject or ignore or dismiss, dismiss such people. Especially if we don't like them. You know, some Christians I don't like. I, and it's not because they're Christians. It's just because they're people I just, I just don't like. What's that about? Um, Sue and I lived in community for three years. And you can't possibly live in community with 90 other people who are all trying to follow Jesus without quickly coming across people who annoy you, (laughs) who seem selfish or immature, whose character flaws are really, really apparent. The ones who are cranky, a bit rude. The ones who are a bit spiky. The ones who get annoyed when I'm doing the thing I think I'm called to. The ones who have rather strange... Inconsistent theology. The ones who won't follow the rules that you think are really important. The ones who pull you up short and challenge you for the fact you haven't followed the rules that you think are stupid. (laughs) It's really easy to quickly fall into judgmentalism. To consider everyone else from our own position of correctness. And it, it took a very wise person... Um, to help me understand that when you come across people who challenge you like that, that's actually God using those people to try and say something to you. Those encounters um, are actually designed to shape and mould me. A little bit of self-reflection is always, always helpful in those circumstances. What, why does this person annoy me? What's actually the story behind their current behaviour? There's, there's always a reason why someone is doing something. Maybe that understanding that story will help me understand their behaviour. What is it that I possibly have done that's hurt them without me even realising? Maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to go on there. What character flaw are they holding a mirror up to me with? What is it about me that God's trying to say? Maybe there's something in me, that my impatience, that needs addressing. Maybe my arrogance or conceit is being challenged maybe my lack of assurance that god loves me actually is being held up here there's always something for us to learn from those encounters and my experience is that god reveals himself and his character through our joint and common search for him Our, our search for living in unity with people who are on the on the same journey that we're on is really important When we gather together in Jesus' name, he says he will be present. So we find Jesus' presence, we encounter Jesus, when we grapple and wrestle for unity. Discipleship's a lifelong activity, and the people that we walk the journey with are part of the process of shaping us. When we pursue unity, God commands his blessing. The second place uh, that we encounter Jesus is as we serve our neighbour. Who is my neighbour? That was a question that somebody asked Jesus explicitly. And when he was asked that question, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. A man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. who gets attacked, he gets robbed, he gets stripped naked, he gets beaten He gets left for dead. And there are three people who pass by. The first person is a priest coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Probably he's served in the temple for two weeks and now he's going back home to his home in Jericho. He'll be rich, he'll be wealthy, he'll be riding a horse. He comes across the man. The man's naked. He can't tell whether he's Jewish or not. He can't tell whether he's the right sort of person or not. The clothes aren't there to give it away. It's not safe for him to help, because he'll break all sorts of religious taboos. And so he rides on. The next person who comes is a Levite. He's kind of a middle-ranking person. He probably knows that the priest's ahead of him and has seen the priest ride by. So he doesn't want to do something that's theologically wrong, or show up with the priest for not stopping He's the person who could actually heal the wounds and tend to care for the person. But he he walks on by. The third person in the story should, by rights, be a lay person. But Jesus subverts it and, and says it's a Samaritan. Someone who is religiously, culturally, ethnically wrong. Shouldn't be there. It's actually a dangerous place for him to be. He's not the person who should be working there. And that person, the Samaritan, reconciles all of the things that have happened to the man. He carries him on his horse. So he fixes the fact that the priest didn't help. He binds his wounds. He fixes the fact that the Levite didn't help. He pays for food and clothing. He, re- he restores the robbery. Making the Samaritan the hero of the story is deeply offensive to hearers if they're bound up in a worldview that says there are boundaries. And some people are in, and some people are out. Every time we draw a line between us and others, Jesus is always on the other side of the line. We are so quick, aren't we, to rush to conclusions, to make judgments, to define boundaries between us and them. And it's not surprising, really. It's the core behaviour we've exhibited ever since the Garden of Eden. We've chosen to take from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've chosen to make distinctions between one thing and another. And that immediately separates and excludes, it draws lines. And as Rachel reminded us last week, Jesus' constant activity was to join, to include, to deliberately step over the line. And whenever he did that, the constant refrain was, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is here. So serving people Treating them as equals, giving them their true value, acknowledging their humanity is a profound act. It speaks the truth of God's kingdom. It restores their relationship with the rest of humanity. It provides the environment in which their relationship with God can be restored. And it, it restores our fractured relationship with God and his creation and our fellow man. That's why I think we encounter Jesus in those moments. We are present in a place where the kingdom of God is being established. We are in the same place as the king. And I think this is something that we work out in our everyday lives. Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. So he ministered to the people that he encountered. He ministered to the people that God showed him. His father showed him. So we can all do that. We can all respond to Jesus' call to follow him in his ministry, to be part of um, reconciliation, to be his ambassadors, to bring about the kingdom of God in the ordinary, in the everyday, amongst the people we're already finding ourselves encountering. It's the momentary act of kindness It's the choice to step over the dividing line, to be alongside someone who's different. It's a choice to move to where Jesus is. It's a choice to move into Jesus' presence. Uh, My wife, Sue, is absolutely brilliant at this. Um, She will talk to anybody, embarrassingly so at times, especially in shops. She She came back from the supermarket the other week and said, I had this amazing encounter with this, this young man. She was stood at the checkout c- counter, and he was ahead of her. Uh, he only had a small gathering of things, kind of basic essentials. I think he had a child with him. He was obviously, he didn't have very much money, and he was just buying the key things that he needed to feed his family that day. And he just discovered that he didn't have enough money to pay for it. And he was really stressed. He was upset. He was ringing on the phone to see if somebody could put some money in his account. And and Sue said, and God just said, God bless him. So she went forward and said, Can I pay for your shopping? Um, and it, and he, he he was he refused it I think at first, but but then eventually accepted the money. It wasn't a huge amount. Um, and at the end of it, he was he was crying. He was he was he gave her a big hug. I'm sure it wasn't COVID safe, but, you know, um, he was able to take the things that he needed for his family through her act of generosity. And it didn't just affect him, it affected the checkout person as well. You know, Sue paid for her shopping. They said, that was amazing, I can't believe you did that. It doesn't take much, does it, to actually bring about God's kingdom, to bless people, to provide for people, to care for people. There's another reason why I think we encounter um, Jesus when we serve people, when we step over the line, we go to the margins. Because the people there that we encounter, the least and the last and the lost, um, soon reveal our shortfall of natural grace. Because often people who've been disenfranchised, people who um, have been constantly told by the world that they're, they're not important, people who've been oppressed, people who are struggling with uh, physical or emotional or mental health, people who've got problems with addiction, they are sometimes hard work to be with. To be able to love and serve those people sustainably, we we soon learn that we need to rely on God. We're quickly drawn to prayer because we can't do it in our own strength. And it's as God releases the Holy Spirit in our lives that we actually get the patience. We're able to bring hope. We're able to be gentle. We're able to have self-control. Our understanding and our compassion is increased. Praying like that profoundly changes us as we allow God to change our heart. That's the biggest miracle, isn't it, actually? by seeking and serving and blessing other people, by praying for transformation for others, we get transformed. We become more like Jesus. And the third um, place where we encounter Jesus is as we are reconciled with others. If we hold relationship as a value then we need to seek to be in relationship with people. And the quality of those relationships needs to be good. If we hold transformation as a value, then we can't expect to see transformation in other people unless we are willing to be transformed ourselves. If we hold story as a value, then our story needs to fit into God's bigger story, We can't expect to help people to be reconciled to God unless we are reconciled with God. We can't expect to help bring reconciliation in other people's lives unless we work out that relationship, that that reconciliation in our own relationships. Or put another way, we are called to God's cosmic work of reconciliation, and it needs to start with us. And the first place that most of us, I think, learn about relationships are in our family context. It's a place where the most profound blessings can be experienced, when we're fully known and we're fully loved. But it's also a place where the, most, the deepest hurts can be received, isn't it? So often the ones we're closest to or responsible for are the ones that we hurt the most. And family is a place where we can learn the process of reconciliation um, safely and well. If we're in loving and caring relationships, it's a safe place to say sorry and to offer forgiveness. But it's often the place where we need, we have most need for reconciliation. Because breakdowns in relationships in those places um, can be devastating, can't they? Because it's, it, it means the place where we should feel safest is often the complete opposite. As parents, um, Sue and I tried really hard to work out and um, to live out our love for each other and our disagreements with each other and our confession and forgiveness. We tried to live that out in front of our children where we where we could. It, it wasn't in the sense of having blazing rows with uh, with each other in front of them, but it was in demonstrating that we could have disagreements and we could learn to resolve them. That disagreements um, wasn't a sign of lack of safety, but it was, it was a safe place to be and we could work those things out. I remember at least one occasion when I, um, I took myself and sat on the bottom step of the stairs to think about what I had done. Um, and I did it in front of my children in the same way, because, in the same way, we asked them to go and have time out on the bottom step when, when they did something that we thought was inappropriate, so I, I tried to live it out in front of them. However, um, I recognize when talking about family that not everyone 's experience of family is positive or affirming. You might even want to talk to my children about whether their experience was um, the same on us, but um, so what I want to do is just talk about two of the key things that are really helpful in restoring relationships, not just family ones, but ones with close friends, um, with, our, with our partners, with our relatives. And I, I, I draw upon the stuff we've, we've learned through running marriage courses and marriage prep. Um, Sue and I have done that for about 20 years now. We find it really helpful in our own relationship. And these courses are designed primarily to give people tools to help them build successful relationships. I mean, it's focused on a marriage relationship, but they're tools that you can use in all relationships. Because the vast majority of material is focused on how we communicate with each other and how we learn to apologize and to forgive each other. Communication is key because that's the primary cause of relational breakdown, is that we fail to communicate. We're poor communicators or we miscommunicate. We fail to say what we really think or feel. We say it badly because we're tired or stressed or hurt. We fail to listen to what's been said. We're more interested in saying what we think. We hear what's been said, but we consciously or subconsciously filter it. We only hear certain bits. We mishear or we misinterpret what we do hear. We make assumptions. Stephen Covey said um, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seek first to understand and then be understood. We need to work at explaining how we're really feeling. Um, if, we've, if somebody's hurt us, we need to express it. Very often that's about saying, um, when you did this, this is how it made me feel. it's a much uh, less um, threatening way of explaining something to somebody rather than saying you did this wrong, when you did this this is how it made me feel communicating like that is really helpful because a person who's hearing it if they love you, they don't want to hurt you, so they're actually much more likely to be interested in hearing what you're saying in order to learn about you and if someone has said that to you then actually listening and understanding what it is that's going on, listening to the end, listening until you've heard everything, is really helpful to understand how they're feeling. And our experience is when, when people learn to listen to others, uh, to kind of walk around in their skin almost, as, as um, Killer Mockingbird has, it, has the quote, isn't it? Um, then you get to a point of understanding. Then you get to... Um, uh, really, the nub of what's gone on, and that's the point when it's actually much safer to say, oh, I, I, "Well, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, that wasn't my intention. This is what I was trying to do." It helps you realize when you have got stuff wrong, and then move on to the point where you can actually do something about it. And that's the second thing that we we um, enjoy working on with people is is learning how to forgive when you've when you've hurt somebody and realise that you've hurt somebody the way to solve it the way to resolve it is, is to apologise and apologising uh, the process of apology is often fraught with danger as well you only need to see that in if you have children, siblings when one of them hurts some. You, know, you say, Johnny say, say, say sorry to Billy and Johnny says mm, I'm sorry but I, it wasn't my fault really Billy Billy hears that and says, well, you're not sorry. Yes, I am. I said sorry. Yeah, but you didn't mean it. How do we say sorry to each other in a way that allows people to hear it and know that you mean it? Um, Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas have suggested that there are actually five ways in which we can say sorry. We can apologise. It's almost like there are five languages of apology. And a full apology tends to include all five. We, individually, we probably need to hear two or three of them to, to feel like it's a real apology. Saying all five is always a good thing to make sure you've hit all the bases. Here they are. I'm sorry. I hurt you. Expressing regret for the thing that you've got wrong it's really helpful for somebody to hear. They know that you, you, you're feeling some feelings about it. Second thing is, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Acknowledging that you're responsible for your actions is really helpful. I'm sorry, I will try not to do that again. Demonstrates repentance, a willingness to change. Fourthly, I'm sorry, what can I do to make it right? Making restitution. And finally, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's often the hardest thing for someone to say, because there's do the other thing you're in. Con- the other four you're in control of. The fifth one, you're not in control of the outcome, because the other person may not offer you forgiveness. Being able to say sorry well is really helpful. However, I have some caveats. First of all, we need to keep ourselves safe. So this is not about. Continuing in a dangerous relationship that is um, hard and difficult for you and dangerous for you. Keep yourself safe. Um, so if you're stuck in something like that, please come and talk to somebody. There are ways we can help you. We're not saying you need to stay somewhere that's not safe. Um, secondly, saying uh, forgiving somebody is not about saying that what happened doesn't matter or that the consequences of the actions can now be ignored it's simply saying that you no longer hold the offense against the other person they may still need to work hard to regain your trust or make appropriate restitution or in the worst cases they may suffer legal consequences from their actions Saying sorry is releasing the offence. Releasing yourself from the offence that the other person has caused you. Third thing is that successful reconciliation in this context requires both parties to be actively involved and committed to the process. So if you're in a situation where one party um, does not see that they have done anything wrong, despite your best explanations you may never get an acceptable apology. The picture that's in front of you shows that A has hurt B. When we apologise and when we forgive each other, we deal with the connections that we have, each party has with the hurt. So if you're in a situation where somebody has hurt you, but they don't recognise it, they won't apologise. You can still separate yourself from the hurt by forgiving them. Similarly, if you're in a situation where you've hurt somebody, but you can't tell them that, you're no longer in contact with them, they may no longer be alive, you can still separate yourself from the hurt by confessing and saying sorry. If you, if you have been hurt by somebody and they won't apologise and you keep attached to the hurt, you keep refeeling that hurt. Resentment, the word resentment, means refeeling over and over again. Resentment's a powerful emotion. It can drag you down. It can twist you up. Forgiving somebody is a really important part of the process of releasing yourself from that hurt. Similarly, saying sorry for stuff that you got wrong, even if the person... Can't forgive you, or isn't able to forgive you, or isn't present to forgive you, is really important. You can do that before God, and you get separated for the consequences of it. That's grace in action. And the final thing, the final caveat is forgiveness is a choice. If we choose to forgive people, it's a mental choice. The feelings that come with forgiving somebody come later. Sometimes quite quickly, other times you have to keep choosing, taking every thought captive. You need to keep choosing to forgive somebody. The feelings come. So, three ways in which we encounter God we encounter God in other people who are walking on the journey with us, we encounter God as we minister to people and serve them and bless them, when we step to the margins to do that, because that's where Jesus is. And we encounter God in the process of reconciliation in our own lives. We live it out. We are a prophetic act. We show how kingdom values work here and now in the present, in where we are, so that other people can see it. Reconciliation is at the heart of God's plan for everything. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And Jesus is at the centre of this work of reconciliation. Colossians 1, 15. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. Through him, God created everything. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. So, as we actively engage in reconciliation work, we will encounter Jesus, because that's where he is found. As we seek unity with each other. As we step into the margins to serve people. As we make peace with those in our lives. We will encounter Jesus. So let's continue to follow Jesus. To put him at the centre of everything that we do. To seek him out. To seek the places that he's in to build reconciliation. And to look for him in those places as we encounter reconciliation with others again and again and again. Amen.